1: The Sour Castle is one of the most spectacular buildings that we have in the Kansas City area. It's situated on the hill in Wyandotte County at 935 Shawnee Road over in KCK. And you may not know about it, but once you see it, you'll wonder why it hasn't been restored to reflect the beauty that it has. Well, we'll tell you the entire story of why the Sour Castle has become rundown. Diane, it seems like you can't stay out of trouble. You can't stay out of controversy. Every year, there's a new project for you. Last year, it was the renaming of the Paseo. This year, it's the Sour Castle, where everybody knew what the Paseo was all about. There's a lot of people walking around Kansas City that don't know the history of what really is a cool-looking building over in uh, in KCK. that kind of used to be like the, the focal point of the skyline.
2: I'd say it's still even a focal point of the skyline. It's the this house, which looks like a castle, hence the name. It is at the highest point in all of Wyandotte County. Literally, it sits on the highest point in the entire county. So you can imagine what the incredible view would have been before the area around it built up. I mean, it's just an incredible property. And um, I always, I like to get into good trouble. So I have I have no problem <laughs> causing issue and using the powers that I have, whatever they may be, to, um, you know, keep my oath of, You know, historic preservation. It's very important to me that we we restore and try to maintain the very few things that do exist from this time period.
1: Well, and 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 I guess one of the things controversial is you know keeping this castle in place and not having it Mm -hmm. torn down. I'm sure the land is very very valuable. Why are you involved in this again and trying to preserve this particular building?
2: Well, this house, um, and we'll get into the history, but this house is historically significant because of who built it. And, you know, Wyandotte County has a lot of history. Like, I mean, they need to do a lot. I mean, they need to do a lot of work over there in Wyco, including, um, you know, you've got the Quindaro ruins. There's so much significant history that has been just, you know, put on the wayside in this case, this is privately owned. So of course, then you get into the battle of who's in charge who can do what um, eminent domain. And and there's a lot of, you know, messiness there, but, in general, if you are listed, you would think on the National Register of Historic Places, which this is, there should be, you know, there's, there's things that you can and cannot do. Um, a lot of people are misinformed and think that if you're on the National Register, it means you can't tear something down. That's actually not true. Um, you can. So it's, it's one of those things that it, once it's gone, it's gone, right? You can collect bricks and take them home. And then in, you know, a generation, somebody's going to pick up the brick in the garage and go, what the hell is this? And they're going to throw it away. And there goes the rest of the castle. And in this case, it's just like I said before, it it is historically significant to the point that I got involved because of um, a group on Facebook actually called Sour Castle. That's run by a guy named Jason Simmons who grew up in the area. And he and along with a lot of other people in the area have always been very concerned. They've watched this place fall apart for 30 years. And I, you know, kind of put it on the back burner to write about I do that with a lot of things that are complicated, because I want to make sure when I write about it, I'm not going to miss anything. And so I kind of put this on the back burner. And then finally, I, you know, I figured once Paseo was over, I was like, all right, let's reload It's time to start something new and Hopefully not piss a bunch of people off, but so, you know, l- good l- trouble.
1: Well, l- let's talk about this though. I mean, yeah. obviously you're involved in it for a reason. So the, the history of the Sour Castle, for people who don't know, is a mansion in, in KCK that's been rumored to be the site of deaths, murders, ghosts, oh, yeah. all kinds of great stuff. What what is this castle all about? Why is it there? How did it become?
2: Well, so the guy that built it, his name's Anton Phillips Sour, just sounds like a great name, Sour. Mm-hmm. Um, But he went by Anthony, to be clear. He was born in 1823. He is a German immigrant. So by the time he's 15, he's obviously extremely smart. By the time he's 15, he's working as a bookkeeper in Russia. And then by 17, he's in Austria. Like, what? (laughs) I don't know how that happened. So he obviously could speak multiple languages. By, By 1844, he's young. He goes ahead and gets married to a lady named Francisca. And they have five kids. So five kids born over there. Of course, he had to have his own Anton Jr. and all that, um, four boys and a girl. And then he's really involved in a bunch of different industries, especially with shipping, shipping in general. So wine, wool, cotton, coffee. He even traveled to Costa Rica. So this guy, even before he comes to the United States uh, in the 1850s, has lived a quite an extensive life of travel. So you can imagine what kind of um, person he would have been. Uh, unlike so many others that kind of grew up in their village, you know, dreamed of the, you know, of the new land, you know, sail over on a boat get off. And they're like, now what? I got 20 bucks in my pocket. That's not the case with this guy. This guy came with money, you know, and all that. So he comes to the United States in the 1850s. He loses his wife. We think in New York, she passes away. And by 1859, he kind of just Bus on the Kansas City scene. It's really interesting because I don't normally see something like this because most people who came to Kansas City weren't loaded. You know what I mean? Sure. They, yeah. they, they kind of built themselves. They might have started with their little 20 acre farm or 150 acre farm and then built up from there. This guy came in and just started buying up stuff. So I've never quite seen anything like this within a very short amount of time, starting in the late 1850s. So 1858, 1859, I'm watching these records, these property records in Kansas City, Missouri, he is buying up extensive property. And then he also worked, um, owned a tannery on the levee, which is kind of interesting. So all of a sudden he's in the tannery business. <laughs> um, and he, he also, his health wasn't always the best. So that might have been what um, kind of precipitated the move from a big city of New York to Kansas City or the area would because the air, you know, the air quality would have been better. Mm -hmm. We can laugh about that now. Um, He also freighted in the Rocky Mountains, this guy just was everywhere. So for someone who was said to be in ill health, he certainly traveled extensively. He like I said before real estate holdings, and also he had, uh, he was invested in steamboats, which is interesting. So he did a lot of uh, Mississippi River steamboats. So the guy within a short amount of time had made a name in Kansas City. Pretty. I mean, within ten years, he's the president of the German Savings Association. He's helped his son open a uh, grocery store at Third in Maine. Like he's in, he's in, and he is a he's a high roller of Kansas City society. But he's also a widow, right? So he does in 1869 marry a lady named Mary Messer So she's a nice German lady, German uh-huh. Catholic, <laughs> and uh, they ended up going on to have five children, which I'll get into in a minute, but. Um, for whatever the reason, maybe because of the air quality, trying to get out of the city that is growing, he's made money in real estate. He decides to move to the Rosedale, Kansas area, which of course was like, nothing's really there. Right, um, right. he finds a, a, a property of 63 acres. Uh, like I said, at the highest point and it's on the Shawnee trail, which is very interesting. So it's on the Shawnee trace. It's on Shawnee road today. Um, so it would have been an old trace that led into the Santa Fe trail. So it was originally owned by Thomas Big Knife, um, a Wyandotte Indian, and then was sold to a guy named Colonel Pitchard, who operated a fruit farm. So there, these 63 acres, when he bought it, would have probably just had fruit farm, you know, like orchards on it, and that would be about it. And when he comes in, he comes in with glory, like he is going to build the most beautiful thing that Wyandotte County had ever seen. That's for sure. You can imagine it's a brick structure. It's not wooden, It's not mm-hmm. frame. It's not a log house. This is a, an extensive home. He also hires someone that is a Kansas City legacy in, um, in our history, which is Asa B.B. Cross. This is kind of a cool thing. Asa B.B. Cross, we've talked about him before. He is the guy who designed Vaughn's Diamond Building, which was kind of that cool building that kind of reminds me of Times Square in, in New York City, where you have that a building that kind of is built into the di- this intersection of two roads. Mm-hmm. Um, he built the first Union Depot uh, he built Saint Patrick's Church, Vale Mansion, and in Independence. Have you ever been there? No. Uh-uh. Oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. If you look at pictures of Vale Mansion and you look at pictures of Sour Castle, you're like, oh, Sour Castle is a baby Vale Mansion because <laughs> it kind of is. Vale Mansion is about 12,000 square feet, um, and Sour Castle is not. <laughs> it's like thirty five hundred square feet, but. So he, he hires Cross, and what's interesting, and this is something I I love when I can do this and and finally debunk and or prove things, and in this case, everybody assumed it was Asa BB Cross that designed, you know, Sour Castle. I actually was able to verify it for the first time ever because I was able to find a newspaper clipping from 1873 that talks about Mr. Cross designing a property for Anthony Sour in the Rosedale neighborhood. So. Now it could be official, which is wonderful because even the national register papers say we think it's of BB Cross. Now it's Diane Yay proved it, so that's pretty amazing.
1: No, that that is, but but like I I look at this castle and I'm thinking like back in the day that was almost like a signature. Like I've got more money than everybody else. I'm going to build this big mansion and I'm going to show everybody that yeah. I have more money than everybody else. And so I mean, if if you have it, you might as well flaunt it. And it sure felt like you know Anton uh, Phillips Sauer wasn't one of these guys who was going to sit back and not show off all of his money. He was going to be proud about it. And quite honestly, yeah. you earned it, man. So, so go ahead and do it. Was totally. that his goal with this house was to like, just basically tell everybody else, I'm the king of Wyandotte County.
2: I think it kind of was because wouldn't you build the same kind of house on Quality Hill at the time?
0: But, right. I mean, this
2: right. was, and but again, his health wasn't the best. So maybe it had to do with, um, you know, kind of being away from, I mean, he would have been the only thing up there for sure. One of the only things up there. Yeah, it's absolutely, it 100% a status symbol. Why else would you take as long as he did to build this thing? Because a lot of the people say it started in 1870, 1871. People say it was built in 1871. I have records that show it was finished in 1873, but this thing was not built overnight. You know what I'm saying? Like this thing took some time. Right. He he had, you know, a, 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 a taste for the finer things in life. So everything except for the foundation was supposedly imported from St. Louis. Um, you can imagine, I guess if you have steamboats, why not? Right. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> The first thing he did, because he's in the middle of nowhere, is he built a barn to store all the materials. Um, this house is two and a half stories, in it, but it has a four story tower that just like literally towers over Wyandotte County. And if you were to go up in it, which there's beautiful pictures that show it, it, it's a view that reminded, they say, reminded Anthony Sauer of where he came from, which was the Rhine region of Germany. So it had like the rolling hills overlooking the... Caw and Missouri rivers, you can see downtown Kansas city. So that would have been a speckle of a town at the time, Mm -hmm. but this thing is massive. And it was said it was in plain sight for a considerable distance on the Southern road. So, I mean, he built it. There's more than one article talking about the house being built. That tells you how significant it was for Wyandotte County and how significant it even was in Kansas city to be like, look what he's doing four miles (laughs) to the West of downtown Kansas city. I mean, it was unbelievable.
1: Yeah. So before Uh, we get too far deep into this thing, where, where is this? Like if you're driving around Kansas city, where do you drive by to see Sour Castle?
2: It's a really interesting, it's like right near Southwest Boulevard. That's which sounds bizarre, but it is, it's, it's just to the North of Southwest Boulevard. It's the, it's the craziest thing. It it sits at nine, three, five. It's the address is nine, three, five Shawnee road. So it's very close to I-35, but it's one of those that you can't get off at the right exit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really on the uh, 69, you know what I'm talking about, where 69 is really kind of turns from a regular road from row into a road road. Right. Um, it sits up there and it's it's a very isolated neighborhood. You know, it's, it, it's it's Wyandotte County. There's lots of small bungalows around it, but it is a, it, it's not far from Rosedale, really. So you kind of sit in that Southwest Boulevard slash, Rosedale neighborhood, just to the north of Rosedale, on top of a hill near 10th and Douglas Road. If that helps, so it's it sits up there. I mean, it's 10th Street essentially, or 9th Street. So you can imagine you're not far from downtown Kansas City. It's crazy.
1: So, so what's really the 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 big significance of of this castle? Once it's built, does it become a place where people hang out and drink wine? And he opens a winery there. Does it just become his <laughs> home? Like what? Where where does the significance of this castle start? Where it really becomes something that has been uh, it, like I guess you could say important to the Kansas City history.
2: Well, it it was definitely. I mean, you can tell he built it to entertain just by the craftsmanship inside of it and Mm -hmm. where he chose to spend his money. So, you know, it's the, it's like I said before the showstopper, there's two sandstone lions on the side that were carved. I actually think by somebody from Kansas city, but carved on the side, it has two huge, like three panel doors. that are solid wood that you walk through 14 foot ceilings, 12 foot high windows, seven yards of per fabric per window. If you can imagine, that's a lot of fabric, Bob, if you ever want to go to Joanne's and I don't think he went to Joanne's, but right, you know, right. he's got Belgian lace curtains, you know, mm-hmm. um, floors of alternating dark and light wood. He's got a, a wine cellar in the basement that he held a, a, the key in, in close to his pocket or in his pocket. So nobody else could get into his good wine. It had a billiard room, two parlors. One was used as a music room. The biggest, I think the dining room says a lot because it had a marble top table that fit 24 people. Wow. Like so that. Guy, he really was
1: in the show, and you that he's better. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't know about that. I think he was pretty. I don't see a like I could see I see a lot of uh, Kansas City history characters at the time, like William Gillis. I mean, he had died, you know, in 1869. But some of these real characters, the 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 up and comings, the McGee's, you know, they almost are in the newspapers because of the crazy stuff they were doing on the streets and the crazy stuff they were doing, you know, uh, in their homes and entertaining and stuff like that. You don't see a lot of evidence of that, but he really didn't live that long. So I don't even know, maybe he was, you know, he built the house for a showstopper and then his health kind of held him back possibly from entertaining a lot. But this house was built. This is what's so cool about this. Like chandeliers from Vienna, 600 individually cut crystals per chandelier bells wired in every room. He was a a devout Catholic. So they had lots of religious art everywhere. So it it felt like going into my great grandma's house. Um, Second floor bedrooms. what they had a bathroom, it was built with a bathroom in it in 1873. That is unheard of. That is unheard of. Um, I think it's the first one in um, I know for sure the first one in Wyandotte County, one of the first in the Kansas City area, it had running water, It had built in closets, you know, back in these days, you'd have armoires that you would Mm -hmm. so to build closets, you're anticipating a large wardrobe, again, indicating wealth, Um, the staircase to the widow's tower went past the third floor, where uh, they set up desks for his children, so they could learn, you know, they obviously had tutoring at their home. Um, And then it had a servant's quarters. And then you went up to the fourth floor to the widow's peak and had this unbelievable view overlooking the area. This place was not built to be uh, anything but a showstopper. The house was said to cost 20K. That's a lot of money back then. Sure. But here's what's more significant. The grounds around the castle, 63 acres ain't that big for these people back in those days, right? Because you have people with 300, 500 acre farms, 63 acres is like a manageable villa, <laughs> you know? And the architecture of this house is an Italianette villa. I mean, it, it's an Italianette style of architecture, certainly an Asa BB Cross signature, He spent $40,000 on the grounds, $40,000 just on the grounds. Wow. More than the house is worth. So what was on the grounds, right? I mean, obviously you go, what the hell was he doing on these grounds? Yeah. He, He was an extensive gardener. So he imported flowers from Europe. He built a huge greenhouse. He, uh, I, I love this because I see evidence of him win- winning his, his, or- his uh, orchids won um, awards in Kansas City. I guess there were, you know, flower
1: There ones. were orchid fairs back then. Or you <laughs> got like a blue ribbon, ribbon, or what? I mean, like.
2: Well, you can imagine how exotic an orchid would be, yeah. right? I mean, that's pretty, ex- I mean, I can't grow orchids. I kill them. But right. I mean, it would have been, sorry, yeah, I don't know if there was an orchid festival or for just, you know, they gave awards for just the best. And they always did uh, like fruit, you know, best fruits, best mm-hmm. this, best that. And he was, what was so cool is he had such an extensive greenhouse and such unusual choosings for what he had that he would sell bouquets of flowers downtown kansas city so he'd sell flowers like a like a, a mark i mean i guess he'd already made all his money he's like i'm gonna get in the flower business why not they're pretty but he also always had fresh flowers on the table which i just think also it's that's such a wealth thing right like my beautiful design flowers in my dining room where i could entertain right i mean it, and he had a fountain outside where water piped in from a spring he had a pergola a stone chicken house a uh, like a chicken coop, a smokehouse, um, an outdoor brick oven—all of those were still part of the property in the 1980s. He had 18 acres of grapes, so he's after our own hearts. Yeah, I mean, 18 acres of grapes. So he—you could tell he liked wine because that's a lot of grapes if you consider he only had 63 acres. And 18 acres of grapes is a lot of grapes if you know how much you can make. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So so
1: obviously, he was into all of that, into the wine, into all that kind of stuff. But just like anything, and I feel like we're headed towards that direction, there's something that's going to happen that isn't Mm going to be just right. That's going to make people go, dun dun dun. Yeah. We got a murder. We got ghosts. We got (laughs) something going on here. We don't (laughs) supposed to have what?
2: Yeah. And that's true. You know, there's a lot of people they are like, I heard this happened and this death. And I'm like, oh my God, I, that was one of the things I had to do off the bat was go, uh, let's do a death count. <laughs> How many yeah. people died in this house? Like, because it does, it just looks kind of, it's castle-like. I mean, it looks like a princess castle, yeah, but it's also kind of creepy looking, you know? So uh, I get it. But yeah, I mean, so Anton Sauer, Anthony Sauer was not in the best of health. So he ends up you know, not doing I mean, and there's a of great memories with his daughters, you know, he would sing German songs to them, and they were very well educated. So in 1875, we have our first death, bam, it happens. His son, Emil dies after an injury at 23 years old inside the castle. So he is shipped off, by the way, people like to say that people are buried on the grounds. That's not true. And I don't know why that's so creeps people out because that's what you did back in the day. If you owned a farm and you had a family cemetery. So I don't know. I promise you there are no bodies on the property that we know of. Mm -hmm. And I would say that's just a farce, but he was buried at Union Cemetery. They're all buried at Union Cemetery. And then in summer, 1879, little tragedy, his one-year-old daughter, Helen dies. And because Anthony is sick and he would actually wear a mask, a gold mask, when he was outside, he was like, totally ahead of his time. Yeah, no I, kidding. Was, I think that's because he had tuberculosis, but still. Um, so his, he's really sick. And so they're not going to go off and bury the daughter at Union Cemetery. So they actually bury her in the garden temporarily, which does sound weird. But it's really not that weird. This is just how things this is just how things were back then. So because he's sick, they're going to kind of delay this. Maybe they knew inevitably that Anthony was on his last leg. I don't know. But they were they were on track because one month and one day later, Anthony passes away in his bedroom upstairs of a tuberculosis at 53 years old. So really, if you think about it, he only lived in the house six years.
1: That's not you know? a lot of time for all that work and all that oh fun that you could have had there. Six years. I, I mean, the, the older parties. you get, the six years just goes by like that. It's almost like you didn't have time to do anything to, to really enjoy that house. So yeah, with those seriously. three people dying there, his, his widow is still around. There's still some other kids around. How mm-hmm. long did these folks live there after Anthony or Anton, however Anthony, we are we want to yeah. say it? How, how long after his passing did everybody still stay in this house?
2: It's actually pretty incredible. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, he probably his extensive real estate, I'm sure, sustained the house. But in 1914, his wife sold off 41 acres of land to the south, which was developed into Sour Highlands was the subdivision. Um, It's off of Rosedale Drive and kind of feeds into I-35 today. And so they still own 12 acres, but that's certainly a little bit more manageable for an aging woman. Right. So. Mm -hmm. So they had 12 acres. They still have their orchards. They still have, oh, and I we, we kind of skipped over this. They had a huge wine cellar on the property too that was, it's almost built, it's a German wine cellar and I'm going to call it a press too because I'm pretty convinced it was a press, meaning a press house where on the top floor, you would actually feed the grapes down into uh, be collected or the juice to be collected. It's very much a German style of architecture, two-story, um, beautiful wine cellar that had details and limestone of carved rose or carved uh, grapes. I mean, Mm. beautiful. So um, they still had the wine cellar too. Um, Of course, I doubt they were producing, they weren't producing wine. I can tell you that. So Eva, his oldest daughter ends up buying the house when her mom, Mary dies. She dies in 1919. And so she buys the house with her new husband, John Seaman Perkins. They had been married in 1907.
1: Who did she buy the house from?
2: Well, she takes the house over from her mother. Okay. okay. Who's Mary. So yeah. Mary. Yeah. So they were living on Pennsylvania 38th in Pennsylvania in Kansas city. And so when Mary dies and she didn't die in the castle, just going to point that out. She died over in, uh, in uh, actually at her daughter's house on Pennsylvania. They, Mary moves essentially in 1919, 1920. She decides to go ahead and move over to the castle. Why wouldn't you? It's beautiful. So in 1923, extensive renovations, they added an addition off the back, including a two-car garage. That would have been super fancy for 1923. Wow. They build a pool next door, a pool in between on the west side of the house, an indoor pool, or excuse me, not indoor pool, a, a in-ground pool. And then the, they also build a house next door. So they have kind of dual families. So the Sowers are just living, they kind of split off and everybody's got a little piece of the land, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so she lives there in 1930- in, in Tragedy strikes. So now we're gonna be on to death. Number four for the castle because, or yeah, four. Um, so John Perkins, her husband, shoots himself in the upstairs bathroom. Oh, I shouldn't no. laugh. That's horrible, but you got to think it's stock market crash. Yeah. he had been in ill ill health. They say he was depressed. Who knows what kind of financial who knows? He did shoot himself in the upstairs bed bathroom. So that's another one. But, yeah so eva his his widow now she's super strong independent extremely talented such a great artist she was uh she stayed there ex- you know and she had a daughter named eva which gets kind of confusing who was born in 1913 but she's super strong-willed she's going to keep this house damn it right so she stays there she's maintaining the orchards they're uh making jams and preserves and her daughter eva born in 1913 takes a secretarial position to try to help with the bills. So they're like maintaining the house. They're living there. In 1937, Eva, the daughter the 1913 Eva, uh, she ends up moving to Texas after she gets married, which becomes significant later. And then, you know, her mom, Eva, born in 1870, she keeps living in the castle. And then tragedy strikes in 1940. Two-year-old daughter, uh, granddaughter of Eva, senior the one mm. born in 1870 who lived next door in the house next door she dies she actually uh drowns in the pool oh no so that's the last death i'm just gonna say that now it's the last death so tragic obviously um so a uh, granddaughter of eva named victoria she grew up in texas but she would come back to kansas city and visit and her grandma who was known as Grossmutter, which i love that because it's a you know german for grandmother yeah, and she would come back and visit and she has these great memories of her grandmother, which was such a cool thing. I of course always contact family if I can. And she just has all these memories of staying with her grandma and, And uh, she remembers a chamber pot. I'm like, but she had a bathroom, right? She's like, she used the chamber pot. I'm like, okay, (laughs) guess it was too far in the middle of the night. I don't know. So in 1954, so the family's been there and Eva's been there forever, right? Eva was born and raised in that house. And in 1954.
1: I mean, that's like 80 years later by the time the house was finished. We're we're going almost a century right now.
2: I know. And I'm like busting through some history, but in 1954, it's just too much, right? Eva sells the house for the first time. So it's finally, it's out of the sour family. And a year later, Eva dies in Grandview, Missouri. And the house was sold to a guy named Paul Barry. I would love to have a conversation with Paul Barry. Let me tell you, this guy was a character. He's an oil truck driver who loves antiques. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is not gonna pan out well. <laughs> like, like those two extremes and like, yeah, I'll buy this. guy. He's a single guy super private, he stuffs this house full of antiques. I mean, now, there's still the original fixtures and all this stuff, but he, I mean, he's cramming it full of all this stuff. He, Of course, the suspicion starts with a little bit of, of Paul Berry living there because he rarely turned the lights on. Dun-dun-dun. Looks haunted, you know. In 1977, he listed on the National Register, but he has a three-legged dog running around the property. Oh, God. I mean, it's like, you can't, Annie's collects guns. It's like, this is not going to end well. <laughs> so, so obviously there's a lot of kids that in the area grow up in the neighborhood, you know, cause at this point, the property is really down shrunk to about four acres and there's a lot of kids in the neighborhood. Somebody's living in the wine cellar. That whole thing was taken over by a whole different family and rebuilt as a home. So it's like a home and a guy named the Cadillac man lived there. Don't even get me started. So, like Wyandotte County, and it's my like this. We call it the Sour Castle Chronicles. Okay. Yeah. Like this place was just busting with some active. I mean, I, I mean, I wish I could just walk down the road in the 1970s. So, so yeah. So the, so what's interesting is Paul Berry's super private, 1960s. He's arrested for putting six bullets in the side of a teenager's car because they were trying to get on the property to see if it was haunted. So oh you can my. get the idea. you can get the idea. This was that's where the rumors start brewing in 1985 he passes away and his brothers left this estate that includes all of the now paul is now living in one room in the house everything else was stuffed with antiques it took six months for items to be cataloged to sell it was so stuffed with the antiques that a 1902 stanley steamer vehicle was inside the house in the entryway inside the house i yes I said that to correct. <laughs> he had a Stanley steamer in the entryway. But that also tells you how large the entryway was, right? Yeah. I mean, but he stuffed it full of stuff. So they have a huge auction, all the property, you know, and uh, yes, it needed work. The house needed work because you could imagine it was stuff full of stuff for so long. Wyandotte County flirted with buying it, but then, you know, money. So in 1986, this guy named Bud Wyman and, and his in-law or his daughter and in-law, Cliff and Cindy Jones decided to buy the house, and they are so—they're the perfect people to buy it. They want to restore it. They want to make it into a B and B. They actually—the house was in great condition, to the point, or it was in good enough condition. They replaced, repaired ceilings and all sorts of stuff. It was in good enough condition. They hosted seven weddings inside the house between 1986 and 1988. Wow. That tells you it's in good shape, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah. Well,
2: I mean, it, it needed work, but I mean, that's but amazing. stuff built
1: back then was always in much better shape than it is I today, know. you know, like yeah. people with the craftsmanship and the, you exactly. know, just, like, just looking up at the, like the archways and the designs and the wood and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like people don't do that stuff today. There was a lot more pride, it seemed like back then in the 1800s, yeah. right? Yeah, oh,
2: absolutely. And in, in, in craftsmanship like that, you can, it's kind of like hardwood floors, like engineered. I have original hardwood floors in my house and it's mm-hmm. like, they are solid. I mean, yeah. you just can't. You, you got to do a lot to destroy stuff like that. So they, of course, their idea was to turn it into a B and B, which was a, makes total sense. Right. I mean, how else? You know, you have to have a lot of money to restore a home. That was what they wanted to do: is restore it into a B and B. But the neighborhood was a little bit, you know, weary of that because of traffic and some other things. And you know, money, a lot of money to invest it into this home. And so they kind of threw in the towel. And what happened was. A great-great grandson of the original builder, Anthony Sauer, came to Kansas City, lived in New York, and said, "Hey, I'd love to buy this home." And so, if he knew
1: about this home when he came yeah, here, he did. He, did. he okay, knew. So.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He grew up in Prairie Village, he, so he came oh, back home from New back. York. Came back home, right? And he come in 1988, and he says, "I want to buy the house." And it was kind of one of those things—perfect time for these people to pass it on to the new ownership and you can imagine the whole goal of the Wyman and the Joneses was to restore the home. They loved the home so much. And so here comes the great-great-grandson of the original owner and you're like, this is meant to be. This is right? Perfect. perfect. It'll go back to the family. It'll be wonderful. So they sell the house for $200,000 and they told me it was the biggest mistake they've ever made in their entire lives.
1: Selling it back to the family was
2: absolutely
1: because he ruined it and didn't give it to the to give it the due that they needed to have it
2: absolutely and so now we go on to the history of what happened with carl lott and the ownership of the past 33 years
1: Next month, we take a long look at the person who currently owns the Sour Castle, what he isn't doing about it, and how an effort by the citizens of KCK and some other folks throughout the community have maybe been able to turn the tide on restoring the Sour Castle.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy,